This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. It's Spooko. It's the podcast where Shag and I sit down to talk about horror movies. The background of it is Shag likes them and is good at them, and I'm terrified of them for all sorts of reasons. Now... One of those big reasons is my vasovagal blood fainting response, which, as I've said to Shag earlier, I think is only getting worse, right? Um, another theme of this podcast is how little work I do, and so I thought I'd try to combine those two with a chat this week. And I'm so glad you're doing this because often I find that you will pick up a piece of information or half a bit of information and you'll just run with it through your life and you'll never be challenged. And you'll be like, this is the thing. And then somebody will actually, who knows what you're talking about, will be like, what are you talking about? That thing that you think is a thing is not a thing. And I'm just wondering, we've been calling it, you know, your vasovagal this whole time. Is this even, a, is it made up? What, like, what is it? Is it true? <laughs> it is sort of real. All right. Like, let me, let me take you on the journey that I've been on for the last three or four minutes, um, trying to figure out what's going on. And spoiler alert, like all journeys on the internet, it ends with the alt-right. <laughs> it's, sort of, it's sort of where we get to. <laughs> it's like the same as on tiktok if you just keep flicking through for you it ends up with being like did you know that you know black lives do matter but also all lives matter and it's like oh <laughs> i've fallen down a pretty <laughs> i've fallen down a pretty deep hole here I, I i was i was really hoping that tiktok would be the you know the last frontier to be conquered by alt-right thought that kind of depresses me a little yeah it's a real bummer so poor old tiktok r.i.p tiktok it was fun um but now podcasts and podcasts of the future. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we back the right horse. Yeah, definitely. We have not reached. Won't find any racists on podcasts. <laughs> Finally, two white guys are getting together to solve racism. We did it, Shag. It's awesome. Mm, um, the other thing it. we're solving this week is my scared of blood vasovagal response. And so I'm like, all right, proper Google. How do I solve a vasovagal response? What are the strategies? And in essence. What I have to do is I have to do a cognitive behavioral therapy. And I don't fully understand what that is, but just to take one little nugget of facts and pretend it's everything, we'll come to that. So the one, the one little nugget, I've clicked through about three or four pages, all of which have lots of scary ads that look like really weird stuff on them. <laughs> but in essence, the biggest piece of advice that is often repeated is, that if you go through your cognitive behavioral therapy for your fear of blood, you will learn to replace your fearful self-talk with healthier responses to the sight of blood. And I was like, oh, okay, that sounds, that sounds good. What are some of those healthy responses? And um, so then I Googled like, you know, strategies for seeing blood and your healthy responses and sort of stuff. And the first answer was a wall street journal article, which is behind a paywall. 
And no, <laughs> oh, no matter how inconvenient my fear of blood is, I'm not prepared to give Rupert Murdoch any money. <laughs> and so we just find ourselves back to me having to find some healthier, healthier responses to the side of blood. So this week is like blood, blood rules. What's up? Let's go see some. Well, I hear the term cognitive behavioral therapy. And I feel like what we've been doing in Spooko is essentially that, right? We are trying to change your behavior through your cogni which is another cool name for your brain i just made up but we no no but it it is basically it's it's it's, this what we're trying to do is basically some very limited exposure therapy Mm. which we did in fussy eight out which we're doing now and i guess i wanted to then when when i when i heard you wanted to talk about your vasovagal responses and you know dealing with that and what you can do about it i immediately went to the first thing i think of when I think of blood in films, and it's an iconic scene from today's film, The Shining. Now, before we get to it, Mm. I think it's worth talking about the fact that, like Stephen King, who is an an incredible writer, but has written some pretty troubling stuff (laughs) that has sort of surfaced in the last couple of years. Like, child pornography is always gonna age poorly. Like, it's just not a timeless (laughs) genre. We should probably mention the fact that for a long time in this podcast, we've been pointing out that JK Rowling is a little bit problematic and, and it's finally come to a head, which is insane. It's ins- like, it's insane that 2020 has claimed another scalp. She was like, boys have penises, girls have vaginas, <laughs> deal with it. Was that essentially her point? She, she reshed from what I understand she reshared an article that used the terminology people that menstruate. And she made a pretty glib comment that said, people who menstruate, we had a word for them, didn't we? Like woman or wibos or what was that word we used to call them? And everybody was like, JK, like <laughs> what you have to do is sit on your billions of dollars and not share your troubling views with the world like that's literally all you have to do you have to not share your troubling views like, you've got one that? job but you I have one job which is to not be anti-trans i love that like there's something to that as a half throwaway joke that you then go oh yeah sorry like i'm just goofing about but she's like no no i'm i'm still, <laughs> this is the hill i'm gonna die on this joke this is the greatest thing i've said and it's just like jk no buddy no And then it becomes kind of fucked because then she goes into PR mode where she is able to write a story about how she, you know, suffered spousal abuse and thus like, and and, you know, it was based on, based on the fact that she's a woman and then somehow comes to the conclusion that her version of womanhood is threatened by by trans lives and jk would love the bottom of tiktok she should just keep on flicking through and she'll get the (laughs) stuff she loves right there are we talking about this because our director's problematic today i've forgotten who oh no sorry it's a stephen king story oh no all of his stories are about writing in maine or writing in massachusetts (laughs) or whatever aren't they fucking hell (laughs) to me it comes back to a first thought thing of like oh i'm so uninspired about what to write 
what if I wrote about being uninspired? It just feels like a profoundly first thought thing. And Stephen King obviously is a reasonably creative person, one of the more creative people there have ever been. But I do like that this has an element of the first thought of like, well, better write about me being in a spooked out house. (laughs) Sounds good. It's like the RL, basically, he is the Jack Black starring RL Stein's Goosebumps movie. <laughs> have you seen that film? Because I know you have young children, so I thought maybe it's a film they might have seen at some point. No, and, and you'll be shocked to hear I've got no particular desire to either. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure they know it exists and I'm not about to share the, share the secret. <laughs> you know how much gaslighting is involved in parenting. Like, we've spoken about this before. <laughs> like, we make pizza each week where we put fro- heaps of frozen spinach in and when we go out and have pizza out they're like why is the dough all white like where's the green bits and we're like yeah it's pretty shit it's pretty gross they don't really do it properly here because there's no green bits in there and they're like yeah man fuck this where's the green pizza <laughs> so as we gaslight our way through parenting also the rl stein goosebumps movie doesn't exist it was never made All right, so this has been a very long and winding road to get to the point that today we are talking about a Stephen King classic that I'm amazed it's taken us 44 episodes to get to. Today we're doing The Shining. I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970. Well, a man named Charles Brady is the winter caretaker. He came up here with his wife and two little girls, I think about eight and ten. From what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family with an axe. You can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. Now the trailer I just watched was extremely contemporary in tone and the view I take is that because it was about two minutes long because it included the now iconic here's Johnny that presumably to Mm. a 1977 audience means nothing (laughs) and because it basically uh, looked extremely beautiful sort of hereditary and us style I presume what I watched was like a fan re-edit making their own preview but it was nonetheless pretty gripping stuff. I do think that Here's Johnny made sense to a 70s or 80s audience. Oh, it's a 1980 film. So it made sense to an 80s audience. I think it's like a reference to Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson, I think. There are layers upon layers of, you know, social references that like, and, you know, cultural references that I will never understand. But imagine that, like, I just don't know why people weigh their films down well, I, I guess you never know your movie's going to be timeless. Like Moana, arguably greatest movie of all time, is it's, completely yeah. perfect, like 98% of it. But one of it is like, oh, you're a princess with a talking... You're, like, you're you know, daughter of the village chief with a talking bird. Yep, you're pretty much a princess. Go tweet about it or something like that. <laughs> and it's just this complete break of like, why the fuck did you do that? Like... Like you've just like, if you're trying to make something good and surely when you're making a movie, you're trying to make something good. You must think, think past the first 18 months of its reception. It just is all, it's like watching Wreck-It Ralph, which is complete fucking garbage. 
Oh my God, completely. Peach, I feel like now when you, when you go into these sort of hypotheticals of, you know, if you're making a film, now that you are a filmmaker, <laughs> you should probably reflect on your own experiences. With oh, no. <laughs> Zero cultural references, or if there are cultural references, they're all in-universe cultural references. Well, I mean, so, so, so Bugsy Malone is in there. There's never any reference to his rap career. Oh, of course. Like, are there any, like, knowing winks? Like, he uncovers, like, a grime shop somewhere. Or he, like, and he's sees just it. like, oh, this looks promising. I don't know, like, something like that. Or he walks past a, like, sports car shop that's, you know, overgrown with weeds. And it's like, hmm, <laughs> what a tragedy. I love fast sports cars. <laughs> no, well, or just even a knowing wink towards the camera of being like, no, it's me, Bugsy. <laughs> or bust a watch <laughs> shop or something nothing is scarier in a horror film than the lead character <laughs> winking at the camera <laughs> the blind lead character <laughs> looking down the barrel <laughs> with a mischievous wink <laughs> and it's timeless it makes it timeless it's like yeah man we get it Bugsy alright so Shining's an interesting one because mm. It is a Stephen King film. And, hey, I've been watching that um, Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix and somebody makes a point during that that Michael, you know, in the 90s when he was winning all these championships was the best at his job that anyone has ever been at their job. And I wonder if you can make the same comparison to Stephen King as a horror writer. I mean, who... Like, who has come up with this many stories, this many bad guys? You're right. Most of them involve a writer in Maine, which, you know, is his calling card. But, but apart from that... Like, well, fuck you, Peach. Like, yeah, okay, they involve a writer in Maine. Like, I've still written a thousand of them and people flipped. And it's like, well, I can't really argue with that. But I'm so glad you talked about The Last Dance because I wish this was a Last Dance podcast. You know, I've watched it twice. <laughs> oh, wow, really? And at the end of episode seven, I'm not sure if you remember... I won't do too many spoilers, right? This is just a spoiler for a 30 second part of it where um, they're examining his approach to the game and he's talking about how competitive he is and how, he, how much he likes winning. And he breaks down in tears thinking about how important it is to win. <laughs> like, so like the data boy is like, how is this burnt out shell of this fucked up dude who's like, all I care about is winning and it's so important to me. And he, he moves himself to tears thinking about winning. And you're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is not a life that would be nice to live. Here's an interesting point about Stephen King, who is arguably the Michael Jordan of horror novel writing. Mm. So this is probably seen as his greatest film adaptation of all the film adaptations. And yet he famously hates this film. And there's two really key reasons that he hates this film uh, based on narrative decisions that Stanley Kubrick takes that he didn't agree with to the point where he wrote a sequel called Dr. Sleep, which came out a few years ago. And then they made a film with Ewan McGregor and they had this, they had this awkward moment where basically they wanted to do, they wanted to make the film and they wanted to connect to the shining because it's a sequel to the shining, but they had to make it work with the, the, the movie version, even though the book acts like the movie version doesn't exist. Long, long story short, it's, it's an interesting thing. I'm actually going to tell you after we go through the yes, synopsis why he hates it, yeah. just, to, just to explain things. But anyway, okay, so 
Fuck, I love this podcast. The film, the film central character is Jack Torrance, who's Jack Nicholson. He's an aspiring writer and recovering alcoholic who accepts a position as the off-season caretaker of the isolated historical Overlook Hotel in the Colorado Rockies, which you saw in the trailer. Beautiful hotel, you know. Imagine setting a movie there. It's just this awesome idea to be like, well, let's hang out here for a whole movie. You're like, yes, awesome idea. Oh my God, and it's a hotel. So it's like, where are we going to stay? We'll stay in the rooms. (laughs) All films should be set in a hotel or an Airbnb. (laughs) Why don't you do that? That's what we should have done. Our next film needs to be set in a really nice hotel or Airbnb. Let's just set it in a movie studio because that'll be really convenient. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just be like, well, here we are. (laughs) You know what? I do think the next film we have to make is the film that replaces the Harry Potter series, which is cancelled. Like, uh, you know, that leaves a massive void and clearly it's up to us to replace it. The funny, like, you know how no one knows what's going to happen in life. It would be very, very funny if this podcast led to us becoming horror filmmakers. (laughs) Stranger things have happened. It's the Lee. It's the Lee One L story of just sitting there, just critiquing these movies and being like, "All right, get out of the way, everyone." Like, not to be too self-deprecating, but it's not leading to us becoming professional podcasters. So <laughs> clearly, clearly, the future's wide open for anything. Oh, Rush's right, okay. what's up? Oof. <laughs> All right. So he's taken this job uh, alongside his wife Wendy Torrance and his young son Danny Torrance, who you saw is super cute. Uh, now, Danny possesses something called The Shining. Now, did you know what The Shining was? You probably do. Like, this this film has has injected itself into so much pop culture over the years. You forget how influential The Simpsons was. Like, I know The Simpsons is now a self-parody of a self-parody of a self-parody and means nothing. But for about 15 years straight, it was arguably the most important cultural artefact of Western civilization. And the reason I sort of know what this movie is is because it's one of the iconic treehouse of horrors. Amazing. Now, oh, excuse me, that's Golden Child in the background. I love you, Golden Child. So Danny has this ability called The Shining. In the book, because I've never read the book, to be honest, I've read most of his books, but I never go around to reading The Shining. But I imagine in the book they go into great detail about what The Shining is and what it does. But in this, it's that very horror movie thing where it's like, sometimes he's psychic in certain ways. (laughs) So they describe it here that it enables him to see into the hotel's horrific past. But it also seems to mean that he can connect with the hotel cook, Dick Halloran, who also has this ability. So he's able to communicate with him telepathically. So he's able to communicate with him, but he's also able to like see some vision sometimes, which like helps with progressing the story. So the hotel had a previous winter caretaker who went insane and killed his family and himself. So they have a position that's for a caretaker in a very isolated place that gets very cold and very scary. And the last caretaker went insane, again, went insane and killed his family. You would think that Mm. you'd put in some sort of changes to this role instead of just being like, by the way, this happened to the last guy. So hope you're not as soft as the (laughs) shitty old last guy. (laughs) Actually, that would work on you. You'd be like, Paige, 
Are you brave enough not to kill your family in this hotel? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, what, what, what? <laughs> and if well, Bugsy Malone come up started and like... our remake of The Shining, it would be so much more confrontational. <laughs> but, but there'd be no, there'd be no killing because the ghosts would come up and they'd be like, Bugsy. Yeah, but yeah, what? Yeah, pretty spooky. <laughs> I'm king of the north. What's up? <laughs> What does that mean? So Bugsy Malone's King of the North. He's this rapper that we've got starring in yeah. Eyes Up. One of your favourite crime MCs. What does King of the North mean? Is he from the north of England? He's from Manchester. So do you remember that um, that band called The Music from like 15 years ago with oh, that guy with yeah. the like searing vocals? Yeah, There's 100%. this song about like we're from northern England that when I first heard it, I was like, oh, this is a moving, lovely song. And now I'm kind of like, mm, I don't really like sort of, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, people from the North rule. And it's like, mm, the implication is people from the South don't. And yeah, this doesn't quite, like this actually is not quite that awesome. <laughs> but yeah, basically he's like, look, like Stormzy casts a shadow too big to ever overcome. Like as Wiley learned, as everyone's learned. And so King of the North is like, yeah, right, Stormzy, that's fine. I'll just take the smaller bit up here. And you're like, yeah, well, <laughs> yep, well played. So, so that's the basic premise for it, right? Yeah. So let's get into the nitty gritty of it. Okay, so yeah. let's go a bit more into Jack Torrance. So he's a recovering alcoholic, but he's also a school teacher turned writer, which, which I imagine maybe oh. Stephen King, like he definitely was writing about himself oh. in some way. That's a tough pivot um, to be like, look, teaching's fine, but let's just do some writing. But yeah, look, so he, uh, he arrives at the remote Overlook Hotel in the Rocky Mountains to be interviewed for the position of winter caretaker. The hotel, which opened in 1909 and was built on the site of a Native American burial ground. Again, alarm bells should be ringing at this point. Closes during the snowed in months. Once hired, Jack plans to use the hotel's solitude to write. Manager he, Stuart on, wasn't he hired to do a job? Yeah, he's the caretaker, but it's like, you don't need to, like, you just, like, I, I think he sees the role of caretaker as being basically a house sitter, which... Fucking bl- like bludger. Is. It was like, yeah, so <laughs> the hard, hard job is sit in a hotel for a bit. That's his job. And also, like, you're a writer, just write. Just go yeah, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm sure it'll right go so. In fact, so this is a movie about procrastination, literally, of like, basically, oh, I just yeah. need to get to this hotel and then I can do some real writing. Yeah, basically, yeah. So manager Stuart Ullman tells Jack about the hotel's history and warns him about its reputation. A previous caretaker, Charles Grady, supposedly developed cabin fever and killed his family and himself. Despite the troubling story, Jack's impressed with the hotel and gets the job. In Boulder, Jack's son Danny has a terrifying premonition about the hotel and Jack's wife, Wendy, tells a doctor about Danny's imaginary friend, Tony. So, th- so the kid can't act. So Danny's not a very good actor. Oh. And so Tony is him using his little finger, like his, what's this finger called? Is that your index, index? finger? I think that's index. Yeah. So he's using his index finger as like a little character and he goes, I'm Tony. Oh. But it's like, it's the most annoying voice. And it's clearly like there have been bad actors in time. Like, he's not terrible, but when he does Tony, it's the worst. You're like, it, it basically that's the that's Bugsy winking at the camera. It takes you right out of. <laughs> no wonder you cast twenty six year olds to play teenagers. You know, like you actually need grown ups to, to, exactly. to do acting. <laughs> exactly. So when the family moves into the hotel on closing day, head chef Dick Halloran surprises Danny by telepathically offering him ice cream. Okay, so that's how we know they're telepathic. Halloran explains to Danny that he and his grandmother shared his telepathic ability, which he calls shining. 
Halloran tells Danny that the hotel has a shine to it, along with many memories, not all of which are good. He also tells Danny to stay away from room 137. Sick. Oh no, room 237. Sorry, my phone has like this line of dead pixels. So there's always like one or two words that I just won't be able to read. <laughs> and I'm just going to guess. But room 237 is the one to stay away from. Sick. Would have been problematic the, if that was in the yeah. shining world. It was like, oh, 137. I'll stay away from there. <laughs> and he just stays away from this normal yeah. room that's not haunted <laughs> at all. Okay, so a month passes. While Jack's riding goes nowhere, Danny and Wendy explore the hotel's hedge maze and Halloran goes to Florida. Wendy learns that the phone lines are out due to the heavy snowfall and Danny has frightening visions. Jack behaves strangely and becomes prone to violent outbursts. Danny's curiosity about room 237 overcomes him when he sees, sees the room's door. All right, so, you know, we've, we've seen all those crazy visions and stuff. Mm. Um, and like we said before, so Danny's curiosity about room 237 overcomes him when he sees the room's door open. Yeah. Okay. Later, Wendy, who's Danny's mom, finds mm. Jack screaming during a nightmare while asleep at his typewriter. After she awakes him, Jack says he dreamed that he killed her and Danny. Now, Ooh. let's just stop here for a second because, like, that is really spooky, but usually when people tell you their dreams, they're just like boring. And stupid, hard to stupid dreams. <laughs> but I also think what a full on thing to tell someone. It's like, I had a dream that I killed you and our child. Shaq, like, uh, I, I, I don't know if this is a stupid question. Stanley Kubrick is thought of as, 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 as pretty good at filmmaking. Like it's not a Seriously. sort of Quentin Tarantino situation where, Everyone's like, hey, he tricked us for a while. And it turns out he's pretty fucked. I don't think that's right. I think people do like Quentin Tarantino, but the whole foot thing's thrown people. But, uh, like, Kubrick is considered a genius, but in that Mona Lisa way where I would say most people, including, like, I went, even I went through a phase, and I've only seen, like, half of his films. I would hmm. say most people have seen The Shining, maybe Eyes Wide Shut or like a bit of 2001. 2001 is the most fucking boring movie. Well, I can't imagine anything more boring. Like, <laughs> I, like even just thinking about it, I'm like, oh my God, that's so boring. I mean, it's like to me, yeah, look, I know we come back to Martin Scorsese and we hang shit on Martin Scorsese. And, and look, he does deserve it because we can only judge you know, filmmaking based on our own standards and our own standards. And also so. by your most, it's like any artist. You're only as good as your most recent release. The Irishman is garbage. Yeah. It's four hours of, of pandering to old people who think they know what makes a good film. But as well, like, who cares what old white guys think about other old white guys as well? It's like, no, one 60-year-old white guy seems pretty pissed off with this 80-year-old white guy over here. We're all, like, we are all going to be killed in the revolution and we deserve it. I had a moment the other day where I was yeah. like, uh, like, I'm complicit in this world as much as anybody else is. And if the uprising comes and, you know, someone angrily attacks me, well, part of me is like, kind of like, well, fuck it, I deserve it. So, like, it'll hurt and it sucks. And I would like to live a bit longer. But you know what? Like, we could have done more to help the world be a better place. Anyway, so I'm going to... No, but that's, that, that is actually a thought I had recently. I've got nothing to say again. <laughs> I was... Look, like, we speak about... Like, one of, one of the journeys of this podcast is me slowly uh, coming to terms with J.K. Rowling being a very problematic person. Um, 
And I was even like, yeah, look, I can understand why she sent the original tweet. And like, yeah, look, it's a strange formula of words. And I can imagine her being weirded out seeing it there the first time she saw it. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm part of the problem. I am a bad guy. Well, I mean, it, it's so important to realise if you have a, like a problematic thought or whatever, to actually acknowledge it and be like, oh, fuck, why did I think that? And, you know, how can I educate myself better? Rather than being like, Pete, you're cancelled. You know, well, like yeah, from internal pylon culture, and it's like fucking J.K. Rowling did not use helpful language at all, and it's like that—that that is right. And I fucking like we are a mega trans-friendly and everything-friendly podcast. In in addition to J.K. Rowling being wrong, which she is, there are also rapists uh, who get millions of Spotify plays that my children listen to at preschool, and that is also like a problem. And so there's just a degree like with pylon culture that I'm like, oh, fuck, am I now part of the pylon public shaming problem? If I'm like, yeah, fuck JK Rowling. It's like, oh, yes. But also there are other fights to have as well. When I'm killed by the first wave of, re- like, you know, Jack, as we've said, I'm a socialist in the streets and a capitalist in the sheets. <laughs> like when the revolution's on, I might be like, oh, might get some new locks on the old front door. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I hope they don't find believe, out and send a, few, send a few supportive tweets and then uh, just hide out here for a while. I can't believe you're the bad guys in Get Out. This is amazing. What it's a twist. So oh, I think I'm the what? bad guys in Us. I think I'm Elizabeth Moss and um, Tim, what's his name? We have gotten so far away from this. So let's get back. So, room 237. So, there we are. At, at this point, Danny arrives and visibly traumatized and bruised. Now, we don't know what's happened, but we saw the door open and we assume maybe it has something to do with that but wendy sees the bruising and the trauma and accuses jack of abusing him which jack denies later jack wanders into the hotel's gold room which is like a giant ballroom it's beautiful and meets a ghostly bartender named lloyd you know this scene this is such a famous scene now he, he like classic like 80s film he just complains about like marriage and women be crazy Wendy tells Jack that Danny told her a crazy woman in room 237 attempted to strangle him, which is insane because no one else is in this hotel. Jack then investigates room 237 and encounters a dead woman's ghost. And at first it seems like a, it's a horror movie trick that the more I think about it, the more I think is really fucking gross where at first you think it's like a sexy nude lady. And then when you get closer, it's actually a gross nude old lady. So number one is it's old person shaming. It's like grossly like male gazy. It's, and and I don't think Kubrick was uh, devoid of like you know these horrible tropes. What? Films. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's stop the podcast now. Say it as you so. So he encounters this woman's ghost, but he tells Wendy that he saw nothing. Wendy and Jack argue over whether Danny should be removed from the hotel, and like obviously he should be. This isn't it, an argument. It, it, it. Pete, you're a parent, and if <laughs> your a, children were yeah. like, if one of your children, any one of your children, like I'll randomly select one, and one of those children came up to you 
with visible like mental trauma and bruises and said a ghost strangled them in this strange house you were living surely your first thought would be maybe this isn't the best place i'd be like look i've got writer's block i've got a lot going on (laughs) (laughs) i'm talking to ghost bartenders right now (laughs) and surely my chat with a ghost bartender has nothing to do with you being strangled by a different ghost in the room that we know we're not allowed to go into in a place I already know is haunted and I've seen for myself is haunted. I've got writer's block. I got lots going on. Yeah, writer's block is a killer. Okay. <laughs> so Jack angrily returns to the gold room, which is now filled with ghosts attending a ball, which is fucking sick. While participating in this ball, like he just sort of is walking around and being like, oh, what a great time. He meets a ghostly waiter who identifies himself as Delbert Grady. Now, we can accuse Kubrick of a lot of things, but names he is spot on with. Delbert Grady. What a name. Perfect name. Grady informs Jack that Danny has reached out to Halloran using his talent and says that Jack must correct his wife and child, which is a spooky thing to say. No, no, no. I don't like this at all. We then cut to Halloran, who grows concerned about what is going on. So he's currently on holiday somewhere, but he grows concerned. So he leaves the hotel and flies back to Colorado. Danny, meanwhile, starts calling out Red Rum, which obviously is such a pop culture icon now, and goes into another trance, referring to himself as Tony. Remember, like, Tony, which sucks. But he starts calling himself Tony and and keeps saying Red Rum. Anyway. So Wendy can't find Jack. So while searching for him, she discovers that her now deranged husband has been typing pages filled with the phrase, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. He has done (laughs) fuck all at this hotel. Like this is a terrifying story of domestic abuse and feeling trapped, like literally being trapped with an abusive spouse. This is, this is fucked. I mean, that's it. Like it's basically an allegory to what it feels like being in a, you know, an abusive domestic situation, but everybody still just cites it as like a horror classic. Man, COVID, you know, I mean, I don't want to get too serious. You know about the spikes in, in, in domestic violence happening during COVID when, when people are all locked up together. This is, look, it's not the same thing. They're like, there are ghosts, but cripes, this is resonant in a way that I don't think Kubrick at the time would have had the subtlety to understand like fuck me this would be scared this would be utterly terrifying not being able and to I mean, trust the spouse to look after the safety of your children and the opposite you know imagining your spouse the, harming your child and the gaslighting of you know shouldn't we do something to save the child and being like oh bloody hell my bloody oh, wife fuck. wants me to yeah, like I've got yeah, all this exactly. I'm gonna go block. chat to my real friends, the ghosts in here, like, mm. and and they'll set me straight. My bloody wife is trying to save our child. Ugh. Now, is he getting paid finds- a lot? Like, <laughs> like also, like, why does he? Why does he give shit so much? It's because in the meeting he was like, oh, I won't go mad. He's like, No, man. <laughs> like, He's got your thing. He's like, There's, there's no way. Like, I'm gonna go stay mad. no matter what. I'm not going mad. So anyway, so he appears and finds that she's discovered all these pages. And again, I know we were being serious before, but how true is it when you don't know what to write and you just start typing something like, I'm bored, like over and over again. Like it's a true thing that people do. I get that. Lawyers, lawyers fix it with these things called precedents. And the line is like, never start with a blank page. 
because someone has always done some work in the past that you can just start editing. And so you never feel like you're just staring at a blank page. You're like, oh, yeah, I'll just take something an advice Shag worked on four years ago and I'll copy paste this bit and I'll save that bit and hopefully that case still stands. And so then I can charge you a uh, full whack for the letter that actually you you wrote some of five years ago. It's good. Oh, Pete, you'll be first against the wall. Okay, so... <laughs> My head will be on a stick on day one. <laughs> so anyway, so Jack appears and basically reveals that he's gone fucking insane. Uh, Wendy finds a baseball. Well, Wendy has been carrying a baseball bat because she's been freaked out, knocks him unconscious with it and locks him in the kitchen pantry, which is kind of cool, right? But she and Danny are both trapped as Jack has dis- like, as you know, they try to get out because it started to snow because it's Colorado, mm. but Jack has disabled the hotel's two-way radio and the snow cap. So they can't communicate and they can't get out. Oh, man. Jack, while he's in this pantry, converses through the pantry door with Grady. Moments later, the door is unlocked, which is, oh. again, the fact that ghosts not only are making you go mad but can help you do stuff is, is number one, it's terrifying. But number two, it's like you've got to at some point establish what ghosts can and can't do. Because yeah. if yeah. they can do that, why can't they just kill the family? Well, exactly. If it's like, hey, we have to kill this woman. It's like, man, like you have ghost powers. You can walk <laughs> through things. You beat up a child in room 237. Yeah, you strangled the dog. Like, and I'm sorry, I will never say finish the job without killing a child. <laughs> but it seems weird that you're going to all these lengths to make Jack do it. Anyway, anyway, it's let's just, just keep going. Look, it's, it, it, if, if I recall the end of the movie, and I don't want to do too many spoilers, but it's like a 43-year-old movie, part of it is to recruit him to join the gang of ghosts, isn't it, though, as well? Perhaps it's almost like a hazing ritual of, like, you've got to kill someone if you're going to join the gang, gang of ghosts. Oh, it's basically Donnie Darko in that at the end, it seems like it makes sense. But when you actually investigate it, it's like, oh, none of this makes any sense. <laughs> right? What, like, what does this mean? But anyway, we will get there. So Danny continues chanting and drawing the word red rum. When Wendy sees the word reversed in the bedroom mirror, the word is revealed to be murder. Like, again, it's like, if he is like psychic, like why wouldn't his psychic powers do more than just spell out like a cryptic message? Well, because we haven't defined the powers and, and on one, on one view, that's good storytelling. Cause we're sitting here arguing about it, thinking about it mm. on another view it takes more courage to stand behind an idea that you've settled on and say, these are my rules. And I think it's the latter. It's the latter that I fall to. It's a similar argument to the, do you want to see the monster or not argument? And I think the answer yeah. is, yeah, we always, always want to see it. And then we see it and we're like, yeah, the monster was all right, but it was scary when the monster wasn't there. And so I think there's an argument that says for so long as the powers are vague, we are ourselves sort of up in the air as to like, Oh, okay. Why is that happening? That I, that I would prefer to know. I'd prefer for it to be like the back of, remember the Transformers in the 1980s, the toys on the back, I'd like speed and you get a rating out of six and like intelligence and you get a rating that was nine. You know, like the Wikipedia page for like X-Men, like it's like, they're powers that are one, two, three, four, five powers. This is what they can do. That's what I like. Also, they are some of my favourite Wikipedia pages when you go through like what they can all do. 10 out of 10. You don't have to watch the Marvel films. You're just like, what is Black Widow? You're like, okay, cool. She doesn't have special powers. Oh, she was trained in Russia. Cool. All right. Anyway, okay, okay. So Danny is, you know, saying like, uh, uh, saying red rum heaps. We see that it like reveals to be murder. Jack hacks through the quarter's main door with an axe and does the like, the very famous, here's Johnny. 
Wendy sends Danny through the bathroom window, but it will not open sufficiently for her to pass. Jack breaks through the door, but retreats after Wendy slashes his hand with a knife and then disappears back into the hotel, which is scary as fuck. Yeah, like those horror movie moments when they when the baddie sort of half retreats, like that's almost scarier when it's like, oh no, now they're back to planning. Oh. Like I didn't kill oh. the baddie. Oh, all right. So hearing Halloran arriving in a snowcat, Jack ambushes. It's that classic Simpsons joke where you're like, sick, Halloran's going to save the day. Basically, he comes through the door and Jack appears from behind and murders him in the lobby with an axe in the back. And it's just like, okay, oh, he's done. Disappointed hope is the horror movie trope that breaks my heart the most. Now, Wendy runs through the hotel looking for Danny, encountering ghosts. There's a moment where there's a ghost going down on another ghost. And, like, it's it's one of the what? weirdest scenes. Sexual yeah, so there's, yeah, but, like, yeah, but in, like, a... It, it just this super awkward, weird scene that is actually disturbing and probably the most disturbing scene in it. But then there's this, also this scene, again, which... Uh, was the reason why I thought of this movie anyway, when we were talking about your Vesavagal response is the lift doors open and there's just a cascade of blood. And it's a scene that goes for like a good minute in slow motion. This blood just like cascades out of this lift and just wets everything around it. And look, I don't know how blood would work in that many quantities and if it coagulates or whatever that word is, but it, it, it feels pretty realistic and gross. Well, I'm so I'm in order to overcome my fear of blood, I have to have a positive association with it now. So I'm like, when that blood was in people, it was helping them, you know, live and, and have vitality. And so that's great. It's great to see it's great to see blood and just just see it in its purest form. You know, it's the life that force. Blood that goes probably all. ran like a couple of soccer teams doing their best. Yeah, going going through life. <laughs> contributing to their community. <laughs> The blood rules. Love to see it. Love it. So while she's there, while she's looking for Danny, she also encounters Halloran's corpse and just freaks out as well. Um, meanwhile, Danny runs out into the snow. Jack is following him with his axe and Danny lays a false trail to mislead Jack and hides behind a snowdrift. So he's basically being followed through this maze and then he goes back on his footsteps and disappears. Jack gets lost in the maze and eventually, well, According to an extended cut of the film, maybe he doesn't die, but we have this shot of him the next day basically frozen with a smile in the snow. And it's, it's a pretty creepy shot. Anyway, Danny escaped from the maze and reunites with Wendy. They leave in Halloran's snowcat. The final shot of the film, pre the extra shot, which I'll tell you about in a second, is a photograph in the hotel hallway Jack is pictured standing amid a crowd of party revelers from 1921, which again is like, so was he, was he always there? But if, if so, why? Like, like what's even going on? Uh, there's a, the what's even going on though is a horror movie trope that I kind of half like, but I think mm. leaving the cinema, you're like, Oh, so the house sort of gobbled him up. Like the house got inside him. And so he became part of the ghost crew forever. Or like he could never leave or, whatever. So there's sort of an element of that that I'm happy to be like, yep, okay, the house is magic and evil. But, so sorry, can I come at that 45 degrees? I think if there's a thirst for everything to be explained, everything, then I cannot ever enjoy a horror film without sitting through and going, oh, well, that, like, mm, yeah, well, we'll never do that in the first half of the movie. I think... 
if I'm to enjoy a horror film, which I actually now, having done a little bit of reading since we last spoke, I'm now closer to. I'm now getting getting closer to like I might watch Hereditary in the daytime one day to be like, all right, one morning I'm going to watch it. Oh, for fuck's sake. So 44 episodes of a podcast, you're like, I'm not going to. You do a little bit of reading between two episodes. Yeah. You're like, now I'm close. So the cool thing is that it wasn't the podcast that got me here. It was like <laughs> clicking, <laughs> clicking the like first page results of a Google search, <laughs> being unwilling to go past a Rupert Murdoch paywall, and then basically I'm there. So it's good. But it is the daytime now, and it's easy to talk during the daytime. Shag, as Michael Jordan told us in The Last Dance, Look, it's easy to trash talk when you're ahead, but the sign of a real horror movie co-host is when you can trash talk when you're behind. So when it's night time and I'm by myself, let's see who's brave then. But I wanted, I just wanted to say there's, there's, there's the reason why, now we're at the epilogue. Oh yeah, and there's a final scene that was cut where oh, they're, all in a, they're all in a hotel and the doctor's like, or, or someone, I think it's the doctor's basically like, we never found Jack's body, which is annoying because... And, and apparently the reason why they cut that scene out was that they were basically like, that's one thing too far. Like you're already being like, what the fuck's he doing in the thing? Now the fact yeah. that he hasn't died, it's like, well, what does that even mean? Yeah. That's just too much. That's but, a good okay, thing so, to cut because you're left with enough mystery to be like, oh, it was mm. the house. Oh, yeah, okay, mysterious. And so Stephen King did not like it for two reasons. Number one, he thought the Jack character didn't make any sense because the way he writes the Jack character is that he's just a normal guy that slowly turns mad. Whereas because it's Jack Nicholson, he has those eyebrows. He's like, hey guys, this hotel looks amazing. (laughs) Yeah, man, I'm going to do some writing. It's going to be awesome. Like from the beginning, he seems crazy, which is uh, which which Stephen King hated. But he also thought Wendy's character, Wendy's character in the book is a lot tougher and a lot more resourceful, but she's a bit of a damsel in distress in the film and he didn't like that either which to be fair when you think about it he's basically like i had a reason for all these things to happen and i gave people well thought out characters and kubrick basically just made a film that's a giant mood piece yeah it was and like oh yep hotel got it yep husband wife child got it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no i've got it and Stephen king's like oh yeah but remember the character he's like i've got it yeah oh, it's like, we've he's already the man. Started. like we've already started yes yes Stephen. Yeah, okay. okay look we'll think about it all right yeah good but I, I think Stephen King's objections were right. Safe to say they would have made the film about three and a half hours longer. I expect. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the movie's already so long. So it, no, like long. Nothing really happens. Yeah. There's a lot of spooky scenes and drawn out scenes. And again, by today's standards, there would be a lot of checking your phone while, pre- <laughs> while being like, oh, yeah, that's pretty scary. And then just being like, I wonder what's old happened on Instagram so in the last boring. five minutes. Like, old movies <laughs> are the most boring. Like, <laughs> beach, beach, but don't get me started on old books, my God. <laughs> uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up? <laughs>